Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, thanks for singing and for being with us. You can have a seat, everyone. Uh, I just want to say how special it is sometimes to, to hear you singing. Uh, sometimes I know if you know the song, it's easier to sing than if you, you don't know the song. So uh, music is, is one of those gifts where we, we just helps us to worship. And, and the other thing, too, is I want to mention something that we often don't talk about here at the 180. We're just kind of careful. Thanks, bro. Uh, I just think that one of the other ways that we worship here at the church is we invite you. I mean, all of us are learning this is what it means to worship God with what we have. And we often don't talk about this because we, you know, in a sense, we don't pass a plate for offering. We, we invite some of you, if you're ready to give or support what God's doing here, we have a give baskets there. But I just want to remind you, for any of you who maybe are wondering of how to take that next step, even to just trust God more, that might look like by saying, you know what, I need to start to set aside a bit of money that I can give back to the church so that God's work can be continued to shared and expressed with people who don't know Jesus. Many of the things that happen here every weekend happen because of your generosity. Because you, many of you are faithful and you're giving. And some of you, maybe you're not ready to do that or you're just learning how to do that. And sometimes it can be hard, right? When the gas prices go up and you're like, I was going to give, but now I got to fill my car. <laughs> you know, I was going to give, but like what just happened? Like how did everything cost? Like is milk $5 now? What's going on? So, I mean, we, we go through those moments and part of worship is to say, God, I need to set aside something that's yours before everything else as well. And so we're going to continue to talk about this as we encourage you to give. And also next week, we have a special kind of finance update from our elders to our church to tell you how we're doing as a church. We want to be transparent and give you an update, especially early in the fall. And so hope you can join us for that. But one of the things we're going to do this morning is we're actually beginning a new teaching series. And I want you to turn to the person next to you as you think about this teaching series and say, you did what? Say that to them. You did what? Now, obviously, when somebody says that, you feel like, I'm so in trouble. Even if you didn't do anything, if your wife or your husband says that to you, like, you did what? You're like, I'm sorry, hon. Whatever you're going to say next is my fault. Whatever. <laughs> It's that feeling. But, you know, the funny thing is that we thought about a name for this teaching series as we thought about a church in the Bible who was acting in a way that was so inappropriate. There's this whole section of the Bible and in the New Testament in these letters that a, a gentleman called Paul, and I'll tell you a bit more about him in a little while, and some of you were here last week, so you know a bit of his story. He wrote these letters to churches, and he was trying to help these churches think about what it means to get serious about not only saying, I'm a Christian, not only pretending like, oh, yeah, I believe in God, but to live a life that, that matched those comments. And we have these letters that are written for us, and, and some of these letters are really painful to read. And so in a few minutes, I'm going to take you through the beginning, kind of an introduction to this letter called the first letter to the church in Corinth. 
in your Bible, it's called the letter to the Corinthians. And if you're new today, or maybe, you know, you're not sure, you're watching online, and I want to say special hello to those watching at Ambrose House. Uh, you know, they're a group downtown who are watching and are going to be in a home group with us downtown as well. And, you know, you're still kind of exploring the Bible. You're like, I don't even have a Bible. Like, I don't even know where I would start. We'd love to give you one. You know, you're going to find these letters in the New Testament, letters to churches. And I think about how important that is as we think about the season and the fall and just kind of just feeling like, hey, we want to get more serious in what we believe about God and how we grow. And I don't know, you know, what priorities you have this fall. Many of you are like, I'm already busy. It's October, November. I got to go Christmas shopping. How many of you are nervous about snow? You're like, snow, no, no snow. It's coming, you know. So how many of you like love the fall? You're like, I love the fall. It's so great. Pumpkin spice latte people in the house. Like, yeah, right. So annoying. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I like pumpkin spice lattes. Uh, you know, but I think about the fall, right? I think about just that season. One of my favorite things about the fall, many of you don't know this about me, one of my favorite things, just you know me a bit better, is I love this season because every year at this time, Nobel Prize winners are announced. Have you ever heard of Nobel Prize winners? Some of you maybe know them, like this past week, that they were announced, and every year at this time. They're announced. And I'm just curious, how many of you know any of the names of the Nobel Prize winners that were announced? You know any names? Anyone? No. How many of you know that people lost their minds when Lizzo played a flute online? How many of you know that? How many of you know there's a big story about Beyonce in, in the paper about what they should be? I, I want to say something important about this, that many of the people who are changing the world, you don't even know their names. Many of the people that are going to change the world forever because they're focused on learning. And many, some of these doctors, scientists, literary writers, all kinds of different people are doing their work faithfully and nobody really knows them. And yet we're stuck in a culture where we only think it's important is what's on the news, flashing, celebrities, all this stuff. We don't even know a Nobel Peace Prize, Peace Prize winner, medicine winner, chemistry winner. So I often read about some of these winners and I know nothing about the research. Nothing. Like I read about like the one who won for chemistry and I was telling my son, I was like, I read it and I'm like, I have no idea what this is about, but I think it's going to be amazing. It's going to be so good for us. It's about how genes connect and it's great. Sometimes it's so important for us to remember that some of the most important work that's happening are things that take time, slow, steady, year after year. And in a world where we're just waiting for the next big thing, what's going to be on Twitter tomorrow? What's happening with the war? What's happening with that? Oh, what's going on there? we can forget that some of the things we have to learn take time and attention and detail, and they matter. And we're going to do that together as we look at this letter to the first Corinthians. Because some of you, I promise, as we go through the series, will feel like, you know, it's like slow. It's like, you know, this part. I didn't understand that part. It's kind of weird, you know. And I'm going to encourage you to pay attention to when you're feeling like it's boring. It's not interesting to me. Just stay with it. And one of the things I'm going to do right at the beginning as, as we start the series is encourage you to maybe do something you've never done, is just read through the letter of 1 Corinthians. For some of you, maybe that'll be brand new, okay? Every week, if you're in a home group, you're going you're to hear about this because we're going to call you to go deeper, you know, maybe read two chapters every week. For some of you, you're like super edgy, you're going to read three chapters, it's wild. Your life's going to be changed, right? But just to say, I'm going to do this, and as you read them, we're going to help you, we're going to unpack them and go deeper, and I want to tell you a few things you should know about these letters in the Bible. That nobody in the Bible times went to church with a Bible. Okay? Nobody did that in the Bible. We're really blessed. I hope some of you bring your Bible or you're reading your Bible or you have a Bible at home and one at work or we have all Bibles in our pockets on our phones. Like amazing, right? 
But nobody in the Bible really thought about hearing the Bible the way we do. And so when they heard a letter that was written to a church, guess what they had to do? Gather as the church. They gathered together, and then one person in the church, usually most churches in the Bible times had maybe one person who could do this, they would read the letter of the Bible out loud to the people. They would read it. And this letter comes from a person named Paul. And in a few minutes, I'll tell you a bit more about him. But just right now, I want to tell you that if you're thinking about Paul, Paul was a guy whose life was transformed when he met Jesus one day. And a lot of people were like, nah, I don't believe into that kind of stuff. I'm not into religion. People's li- really, people change. I don't even believe people change. And Paul kept saying like, no, my life has changed. I used to hate Christians, and now I'm kind of like committed to helping people connect with Jesus in a new way. And so this gentleman, Paul, writes this letter to this church, and I got to tell you something special about him. What's so special about Paul is that he planted this church. As I read through this 1 Corinthians letter, I'm just going to uh, I'm just going to ask for a tissue in the back here. Dave, you can just grab one in the back here. Uh, when, when I read this letter, it kind of touched me in a special place in my heart because part of my blessing in my life is to have planted this church. And so Paul feels a special authority to say certain things to this church that nobody else can say to them. You have people like that in your life? People who can say things to you that nobody else can say to you? Anyone? Yeah? If you're married to someone, it should be the person you're married to. Right? I think about how hard this is in our culture. <laughs> that sometimes we, we go through times in our life and we're like, you know what? I'm not ready to hear that from you and I'm going to deal with it on my own terms. You know, mind your own business. And yet Paul's going to write to a church and he's going to say, no, there's some things I have to tell you and you need to receive this from me because I love you. That's what he says. And so can you imagine, Christians, I want you to just picture with me in your mind, like they're getting together, many of them kids running around, super hot, stinky. They're like, oh, you know what? We heard that there's a letter that Paul wrote for us. Some people will be like, really? Well, when are we going to read it? Well, this Sunday we're going to read it. They're going to read it in the church. It's going to be great. And people are like, I wasn't going to go to church because it's Thanksgiving, but you know what? We're going to go. Let's go. He might even mention us by name. Wouldn't it be great if he says our name? Maybe he'll mention our marriage because our marriage is solid. Let's hope he uses us as an example. Some of you are like, nope. All right. And people are getting ready to hear from Paul, and they're excited. And this is what we're told. It's so profound. So picture the room. People are quiet, quiet. The reader stands up, is going to read. No microphone, by the way. So imagine how hard it is. If you don't hear people today, imagine in a room. No microphone, probably in a house setting sometimes. This is what one of the sections of the beginning of the letter to the Corinthians starts like this. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. Can you, can you imagine all the people in the room like, like this? Oh boy, I should have stayed home this Sunday. Hear, like hearing people say this, you're like, oh my goodness. Can you imagine the rest of this letter? The tone? One of the most difficult things in our lives is to just admit that we should be further along in following Jesus, but we're not. We're not, not because the devil's attacking us. We're not, not because of our boss and our kids. We're not because we're not prioritizing what it means to love Jesus with all our hearts. And the word that Paul is going to use in this letter consistently is to call these people who say they love Jesus, who say they believe in God, 
who say that their lives are changed, but are not living anything like that. He's going to call them, in a sense, he's going to use language of like, you're like immature children. You know one of the worst things about being immature? This doesn't only apply to church, it applies to life in general. One of the worst things about being immature is that people you meet who are immature don't care that they're immature. Immaturity makes you unable to even be aware that you need to grow up. Or else Paul would have said, hey, you guys are doing great, you're slowly growing. He's like, I have to send you a letter because what's going on is so bad in this community that I have to address this. And I'm going to address this. And remember, I'm the one who helped you start this church. I'm the one who sacrificed with you. I'm the one who cried with you. I'm the one who gave his life with you. So I've earned the right to say some of these things to you. You know how hard this is to do? It would have been better for us not, let's preach about something happy. Isn't there like a positive thing in the Bible to talk about? I think this is so important because for many of us, when we live in a world where we don't want to be corrected, we don't want to grow up, we don't want to mature, we don't want anybody to know our stuff, we want everybody to mind your own business, you don't know my heart, right? Whenever this starts to happen and God is stretching us to grow, you know what many people do? I've done this. We just change church. You ever meet people like this? You meet with them, you're like, hey, you know, maybe you don't do this, but it's part of my role sometimes to be like, hey, you know what, I've noticed we really want to encourage you to pay attention to this or that or, you know, God has so many good things in store for you. You should be really experiencing God at such a spiritual level, but you're not there yet. You know, we want you to, to dream with us about what's possible that people are like, this church is not for us. Like, amen, amen, let's pray, right. No one in the Bible could have said that. Because there is no other church in Corinth you can run to when Paul starts to address these things with you. There is no other church around to be like, we're going to go to another church where we like the music. No, they had to sit there and be like, if we're going to get serious about loving Jesus, we're going to have to listen to this letter together. And I know it's easy to hear even the introduction of a letter like this as a negative thing. But let me just tell you the positive side. The positive side is that God loves us so much that he wants us to know that he has so many things in store for us that are ready for us to experience if we would just grow up just a little. We would just step into the next season of our lives where he's like, watch what I do when you trust me with this. Watch what I do with your kids or with your marriage when you begin to trust me with stepping out in faith. Maybe praying in a more consistent way so you sense my presence. Watch what I do. I have an image in my, in my mind of, of this while I was studying. It might be helpful to some of you. I just think about a, a son or a daughter whose parents want to bless them with a gift. They're great, great students, and they buy them a car, you know? I mean, maybe you, some of you have parents that, that did that for you. My, mine never did that. My parents, you know, my parents are great. But my dad didn't even know where my school was, but that's a whole other issue. There's counseling. It's counseling for that. But <laughs> some, of you, some of you got that. <laughs> Some of you are like, we're going to pray for Pastor Dom more. We think he's hurting inside. Okay, whatever. Don't pray for me. Pray for you. No. <laughs> but I think about like this child, a daughter, a son gets a car. The parents are going to buy you a car. They put it in the garage. And they tell their son or daughter, listen, you know, we think you're at that age where you should do your driving test. Like, go do your driving training. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to get to that. But, you know, I'm on Instagram and, you know, whatever. I'm not into that right now. Okay, no problem. And they know they have this, they have this gift. Like, they're like, we bought you this, this amazing car, but we don't want to tell you. Like, we want you to see it. So the next day comes up and they're like, hey, you know, did you get, are you done with Snapchat? Are you going to do the class? That class? Yeah, I checked. It's like every Monday's. Mondays are cold. No, okay. So, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, whatever that is, they just get like, it's too much. I can't really do that. And all along, at one point, like 10 years go by, and they look in the garage, they're like, there's a car in here? And the parents are like, yeah, it was for you. 
but you never lived in the benefits of this gift because you never took the class you needed to take to get the gift. All of this letter is Paul saying, do you understand the kind of beautiful things God has in store for you? And you need to get serious more than ever to kind of grow up and pay attention because I want to tell you more spiritual things, but I can't right now. I can't yet. Before I can tell you those things, we got to deal with some of the things that are in this letter. And over the next few weeks, we're going to do this together. Some of them are like, God loves you, but you know, you got to address this. Some of them have to do with sexuality and inappropriate actions in the home. Some have to do with conflict and anger, the way people resolve conflict and fighting. And in a minute, I'm going to introduce you to one of the biggest problems. Paul invites us to read the story, the letter to this church. You think about what would God say to us if he wrote a letter to our church? What would he say to us about things we need to get more serious about? We know so much about the church in Corinth, by the way. One of the things we know about the church in Corinth and that region of the Bible is that there were many shrines of other gods. We actually know three for sure. I just have pictures for you of them. Maybe you've heard of these gods. You'll just go to the slide here. One is Apollo, big temple of Apollo, Poseidon, Aphrodite, the great goddess of sex, sexuality, you know. And many of these gods are Greek gods, but the Romans also loved the gods. And so there's a mixture of all kinds of beliefs about God and spirituality and how you worship and which temple you go to. And then there's a letter to a small church that's struggling in this kind of world. Paul writes to them, he says, you know what? The old life that you used to live connected to worshiping all these other things, that needs to stop. And many of them didn't. Many of them thought, that would be great, but I hope someone else stops, not me. Leave me alone. I'm still going to go to the temple prostitutes and have sex at the temple and then show up at church. And if you don't believe me, stay tuned. Paul's like, what? And we know more of this happens. Paul's aware of some of these things as, as he's kind of trying to think, how do I help this church grow? And it's so strategic that Paul is writing to them this unique place in Corinth. But the other thing I need to tell you, and we're just going to go just a touch deeper, okay? You ready for this? Just a little bit for some of you. If you have the turkey sleeps, you're shutting down now, so you have to stay with me, okay? Stay with me. It's a little bit deeper. That we know that Paul is having an interaction with this church for some time. And actually, we know that this church, when they're going through a difficult time, they ask Paul questions about what they should do with their lives, with their church. And we're told about this later on in the letter. I'm just going to move it up so you can see it. This is what we're told. Paul says to them, now for the matters you wrote about. If you're, if you're taking notes, this is very important. You write this down somewhere. Circle this section in your Bible. Because it tells us that the church in Corinth has already written what? A letter to Paul about questions that they have. So 1 Corinthians is really a second letter. Okay, some of you are like, too much math. Oh my goodness. Is this the Nobel Prize morning? No, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. like, think about this. So really, 1 Corinthians in our Bible is a letter responding to another letter that we have never found. Archaeologists and scholars have never found this first letter. So what we often do when we read our Bible, when we read about the things that Paul's going to talk about, we can go back and think about the kind of questions they would have asked in this first letter, okay? And some of those questions were doozies, like big questions that they have really confused about, like, can I kill my neighbor when we fight? No, not that edgy, but close. You know, well, what do we do about these things? There's people in our church that are spiritually proud. They think they're better than other people, right? Not today, but in the Bible times. And they act like they're very spiritual, and when people are praying, they start to speak in other tongues, and they think nobody can stop them. 
whoa, Paul's like, better address that and address that. So we're told that Paul already is working through these questions that the church in Corinth had sent him. And now he's going to begin to piece together through this letter, working through this. It's so encouraging to us to know that God has always, from the beginning, used very, very broken people. He heals us, he restores us, but he still uses us to continue to reach others. You know, if you want an example of never going to church again because people in church are not perfect, they're hypocrites, they're this and this, just read the letter of 1 Corinthians. Just read it. You have ample information there to just walk away from everything. But Paul says, no, 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 don't don't hold hold here. Let's let's grow together. We're going to grow. We're going to learn. What are some things that you have questions about in your life? You know, it takes a lot of courage for a church to say, we need wisdom from God. Paul, we know God's using you and you have a special voice. You know, we need wisdom about certain things. Would you help us, like, figure this stuff out? Like, here, we have questions. What are some questions you have that you need wisdom for in your life? I think about what it's like to be a parent in today's age. Like, I have a lot of questions, God. How do we, how do we sort through the complexity of the internet and all the things online that some are good and some are bad, and we want to help the next generation grow and be mature, not be scarred by some things. You know, I woke up just the other morning, and I was reading something about what's happening in the war in, in the Ukraine. And trust me, there's other wars going on at the same time that are not on our radar. But, you know, and my son, who's really, really young, came to me. He's like, Dad, do you know they blew up a bridge? And I was like, what? I'm like, how do you know this? He's like, ah, oh, I was on YouTube, and it came up, the news, and I got the news feed. I'm like, when I was young... I'm like, to read the news, you have to go buy the newspaper. And how many of you did that? No, not me. So now, like, our kids have, like, information so fast, some of it very complex, some of it built around pain and suffering and death, and we're like, God, we need wisdom to be parents in this age. I think we would ask Paul that. What questions would you ask Paul? What questions would would reveal how complicated your life is, how messy our world is? And Paul's like, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has lots of wisdom for us. He's going to teach us how to trust God. He's going to teach us now how to respond and act appropriately. And so he begins, as he begins this letter, this is what he says right at the beginning. He says, Paul, called to be an apostle, of Christ, uh, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sustinas, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, you might want to underline sanctified, it's important, in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Their Lord and ours. It's a beautiful introduction to the letter. People are listening, and Paul's like, you know, writing this, and somebody's reading it, and he's like, let me just remind you. Like, I'm writing to you, but it's not just me who's writing. I'm writing to you, and I'm trying to remind you that God is at work in many other churches around the world. Many other churches are growing, and so you're one of those churches, and you have to get serious about being the people that God's calling you to be. And then he mentions the name of a dear brother. This is important in the letter. Paul's not like a solo, you know, hero, just changing the world. There's so many people who are there. And the church in Corinth has some good leaders, some solid leaders there. One of them is this leader. We, we think he's, like, connected to the Jewish leadership of Jerusalem. And actually, in the notes here, I put this for you. For some of you really, you know, you want to take this seriously, you want to grow, you can go back and read Acts chapter 18 because we read about the church in Corinth beginning to take shape right from that book as well. And we read about this dear brother who's with Paul, and at one point, you'll never believe this. They catch him, and they ask him questions about Paul and the church. And he's like, 
you know, he doesn't want to say much. And you know what the Bible tells us? That the people get around him and they start to beat him up. Have you ever seen someone beat up in front of you? They beat him up. How many of you would say, if somebody beats you up, you're pretty ready to give up on God? How many of you have a bad day and you're like, I don't even know if I'm praying anymore? I've had moments in my life where things don't, don't go as planned and I'm thinking, I don't know about Christianity. It doesn't feel that, that, that useful. This Christianity thing, it's not making my marriage better. It's not fixing my finances. You know, Paul's like, let me tell you, when we were working at the church in Corinth, there were people who were with us and when we were just trying to take little steps to start this, you know our brother, Sosthenes, you remember him, you know? He got a beating. People hit him because he was just trying to be faithful with us. What kind of things are you experiencing that easily can maybe make you doubt God's love and God's grace? It's always already happening the early church. We also know that there's another couple. Their names are Priscilla and Aquila. They're not names that maybe you would think of today, but they're actually from Rome and they visit Corinth and Paul's like, oh, that's great. They're also going to be helpers in this church. They're going to help Paul as he starts this church. And the church is, is growing and it's developing. And if you, you like numbers, you know, you like seeing a chart in your mind, just think about it's about 20 years since Jesus has gone to be back with the Father. So it's within 20 years. The letter is probably written in the year 53, 54 AD. So it's still fresh. Everything is fresh. A lot of questions. I mean, Jesus, he was here. Now he's in heaven. He's coming back. We're like so excited. Paul's like, great. We're going to plant churches. And he's doing this. And he invites people to say, you know, to trust God. And he uses this word here. The word is sanctified. Maybe you don't, you don't hear it all the time. Sanctified comes from an ancient word that means to be set apart. Okay? It's very simple. It's a big word. We also, it also helps us understand the word holy. The word holy in the Bible does not mean perfect. Because if you think of it that way, you'll feel like, I'm never going to be holy. God hates me. It doesn't mean that. It means to be set apart for the things of God. And in our set-apartness, God makes us more like Jesus. See the difference? One is hopeful. One is like, blah, I'm horrible. Because we're about to find out how this church, who has been set apart, you here, God has been setting you apart. One of the signs of that is that you're here this morning. You set apart time in your schedule to be here. You're thinking about what it means to be set apart. That's what Paul will say to them. I, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there would be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. So look, we know this. We know very clearly from the beginning of this letter that Paul is talking to people in the room who are fighting. Remember the last time you had a good fight? Somebody? Like, I hate you. I wish you weren't here. Unfriend, unfollow, gossip. You know, I know it sounds like really crazy. And nobody does this, I'm sure. But Paul's like, let me just tell you, that's not just happening out there in the world. It's happening in the church. And he's talking to people in the room where like families fighting, groups are here, some groups are there. And he's like, I'm going to begin by appealing to you to get very serious about dealing with these divisions that are happening. Now we know that Paul has been told about these divisions by another person called Chloe. And you read about her. She's almost like probably a helper in the church and she contacts Paul and says, Paul, like, I love my church, but it's really hard and things are messy and people are really fighting and there's a lot of disagreement, you know. And, and sometimes for us, we're like, well, that's not our problem. I don't care. You know, when I disagree with somebody, you know what I do? I just stop talking to them. 
What do you do when you disagree with somebody? You just stay away from them. You can do that, but you eventually have to leave the church and leave the faith and hope you never see them again. In Corinth, they're like, you're going to see each other every week until you fix this. Together again. And Paul says the most beautiful thing. I appeal to you to please just consider what it means to agree. Have you ever tried to resolve a conflict with two people? Maybe it's your job. How many of you work in a job where sometimes you have to deal with conflict and you have to bring people together? A parent is like, every day, every hour. Okay. You know, I think my kids, they're fighting and I bring them together. And I'm like, you know, can you t- I just want you to agree. You know, and they say, okay, dad, I love you. I love you too. That never happens. That never happens. Like, I'm like, really, Paul? This is, this is where we're going to go to. Just let's get along. So let me just help you understand two very important words. You see them on the screen. That when we read the Bible, we have to understand the difference between the word different and the word division. Okay? Paul is not asking everybody in the church to pretend that they all agree on everything all the time. That's such a like kind of cheesy view of like being united. It's like united means uniformity. It's like everybody's the same. We don't want that. I love that you're different than me. Different cultures, different languages, different styles, different histories. Different, all those things. That's a beautiful part of it. But to be different is to be with other people that you want to know better. So difference moves you closer to people, okay? It moves you towards people to say, hey, I think we're different, but because we're different, this is beautiful. It's like we're going to hear about different people. Division is when difference gets left, and division becomes something that separates us from people. And Paul knows that in this church, people are not just dealing with being different. They're being divisive. They're talking bad about each other. They're gossiping about other people. What division always does in our hearts and in your heart is it always makes us suspicious of other people. When there's division in our hearts towards someone else, we always like, I, you can't trust that person. You can't trust them. You know what? Once, once they hurt me. Let, me. let me tell you what they did. Division is like the seed that the devil uses to destroy the church of Jesus. It's a seed that when it's left unattended, and it's not caught and correct and say, hey, hey, this got to get dealt with. If this doesn't get dealt with, this whole thing is going to be burning down. So no surprise that Paul is going to put this right at the beginning. He's going to say enough with like hugs and friends and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, okay, okay. This, division. Maybe you feel that. You feel division in your heart, in your family, someone you care about, a coworker. Years of something. Like it was different, that was nice, but now it's division. Now it's suspicion. Now you see them and you're like, if you weren't around, it wouldn't bother me. And Paul says, hey, 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 hold up, hold up. Do you know that you will have to learn to worship with this person you are learning to hate? Do you know that? And then he's going to say, listen, just to help you understand how important this is, I want to tell you how special it is that God loves us so much that he's done something to help us with this problem. And this is what we're told. Is Christ divided, Paul says? Was Paul crucified for you? Like, don't like just listen to me. Like, this is not just about me. It's about something bigger. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say they were baptized in my name. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Can you imagine? That Paul's like, one of the ways we're going to get on track with you experiencing healing, 
One of the ways we're going to get serious, you're going to get serious, I'm going to get serious, about dealing with conflict, dealing with anger, dealing with pride, dealing with those things in us that make us almost want to hate people, like be like, I don't even like people. You ever find that happens to you after a while? You're like, you know, church, uh, people, uh, whatever. I have enough of my own family. I've met people like that sometimes. I'm like, oh, you ever want to come to the church? Yeah, I don't want to meet more people. Wow. I'm like, you would have hated Jesus. It's easy to offend someone fast. Because everybody who met Jesus was introduced to all of his friends fast. Jesus didn't do like a hangout with one-on-ones with people. He's like, yeah, you want to follow me? Come, let me introduce you to some crazy people. Let's follow. Let's, let's walk. Why do you think we, we encourage you to grow, to make time? And not only that, he's going to say, by the way, one of the things that I think is going to help is for me to take you back to the basics. Do you remember when you were baptized? That's what he does. So beautiful. Try that next time. Next time you're with somebody and you're having a big fight at work and your kids are fighting, there's a big argument. People are like, no, I'm never working here anymore. We're going to sue you. I'm not coming back. You just say, hey, 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 sit down. You sit down. You sit down. Do you guys remember when you were baptized? <laughs> Try that. People say to you, like, what, are you nuts? What is, I'm reporting this. This is crazy. I'm not into religion. Nobody would do that. But Paul's like, this is exactly what we're going to do. Because the way you help people realize that they need to grow up and mature and let God heal who they are is to remind them that there's something that unites them that's bigger than the thing they're disagreeing about. Is that they've been baptized, and when they were baptized, they made a commitment to die to themselves. That's why I meet a lot of people who never want to be baptized. They're like, I just like church. I like the music. And we're like, yeah, I know. Next step, you should get baptized. Eh, I don't know about that. Why? Because baptism, Paul will use this image. He'll say baptism is kind of the first step, like the basic step to take you back to at least playing on the same field. To remember, you didn't get baptized in my name. And one of the divisions that's happening in this church is that there's starting to be different teachers. People are going to like different preachers, different styles of preachers. Sound familiar? Pre-internet. Already a problem. I like this preacher. You know, they're more on fire. I like this preacher. They're more in the word. They're more in the word at this church. I, I like that preacher. That, they're more passionate, more passionate there. I, I like that preacher. You know what? Like my wife likes that preacher, so we come here for her. But Everything I hear every single day of my life, I'm like, Paul, like, what's going on? This was happening at the beginning of the church of Corinth. All these different teachers. And Paul's like, okay, this is not about the teacher that you like. It's about that you were baptized in the name of Jesus and Jesus isn't divided. He's not divided. You can enjoy different teachers. Right? Different is not bad. But if those differences lead you to division, we have lost something very important about what it means to be those who love Jesus together. And he's going to use this word that's so important, and I'm going to kind of just tie a bow on this. I'm going to invite the team to come, come up. Just to give you kind of this intro this morning. He's going to use this word. He says, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Everyone say power. Power. Just say it louder. Power. power. Like, what comes to mind when you think of Power. Let's take a minute. I'm going to confess something. That for years when I was really young and I was learning the Bible and I was growing in my faith, whenever I saw the word power, I always thought of a miracle. I always thought like, yeah, power equals something powerful, something supernatural, 
Something that makes people say like, I don't know, that's, God's got to be in that. And what's amazing is that Paul says that the power of the cross is first experienced in those who were baptized in Jesus who died on the cross. It's so easy for us to miss that power that God gives us to be the people of God happens when we realized that it was God's power that changed us, that changed you. You know, out of all the people in the Bible, if you read about Paul, he's not going around doing a lot of miracles all the time. He's not going around saying, you don't believe in me? Come here, I'm going to walk on water, watch this. He doesn't do that. I would probably try to do that. Maybe you would try to do that. Like, power means something flashy. He's always going to say, let me take you back to a point where you understood the power of God. The power of God to heal you when Jesus came to you and showed you by the symbol that represents weakness, he was making you strong. Let's do that. And if you read the rest of chapter 1 and the rest of chapter 2, that's exactly what Paul is going to do. He's going to say that the way God heals us is not by making one of us stronger than the other, by saying my power is better than your power. You know why? Because that's the way the world solves problems. If you don't believe me, watch the news and what's going on in the war. Every debate is who's more powerful. We just need more weapons. We just need better drones. We just... You have a disagreement with somebody? I just need a better argument. If you ever see a law court debate, there's a debate going back and forth. When you're trying to prove that somebody's not reliable, you just have to make fun of their character. Oh, their character, they're liars, you can't believe them. Paul's argument? Let's go back where we admitted that we were the weakest. Let's go back there. And because you were the weakest... You had to let the power of God heal you. And if that power meant anything to you, this division going on in this church must stop now, he'll say. This is how he sets up the whole letter before he starts to address all these little problems. It's almost like you could go back to the first two chapters all the time. He'll see, and for many people who don't believe they look at a cross, they look at a guy dying on a cross. I think of people who walk even into our church or maybe watch us online. They see a wooden cross on a stage. How many people do you know that would say, why is there a wooden cross on a stage? This is so weird. What kind of cult is that? Unless they know the story of Jesus and are here for Good Friday and for Easter and connecting all the dots, this is foolishness. It makes no sense why we would have, like, sorry, I'm out of the shot, wood with a cross with a nail. Paul says, but you who were baptized in the name of Jesus, you know what this means. You know what the cross means. And he'll go through this part and he'll say, you know, when you think of people who don't know, they're just, it seems so foolish to them. And it does. I want, I want to warn you that when you're reading these chapters and you see the word foolish, do not think in your mind fool. It's a bad thing to do that. It almost makes it sound that people who don't understand the cross are fools or ignorant. That's not the right English word. It's they're foolish because they don't understand yet what the cross means. Paul is going to say, I was once foolish and God opened my eyes. I was one who did not understand the meaning of how God changes people by helping them admit that they are weak without his strength. That's how he does it. 
This morning as we begin this series, we thought how special to take communion together. One of the most beautiful sections of communion in the Bible happens in this letter. We're going to begin the series by taking communion. We're going to end the series by taking communion. If I asked you what you would do if tomorrow morning you got up and somebody asked you, if you can make the world a better place, what would you do? What would you say tomorrow morning? Somebody says, how would you solve what's going on, a crisis in in Syria, a major crisis in other parts of Europe, problems in Quebec? How would you solve the world's problems, healthcare, this, that? What would you do next? Somebody would be like, I need a coffee. I need a coffee first. None of us would do what Paul does. What Paul says is that before you get serious about dealing with any problems, Let's talk about what it means that you've been baptized in the name of Christ and that now you're going to have a meal that represents unity in his name. I'm going to do that. He brings it back to the two most visible reminders of what it means to trust this insane idea. It's the most insane idea. It's foolish. That in weakness, there's power. That in weakness, there's hope and healing. When we admit, if left on my own, I will never forgive. If left on my own, I'm fine with division. If left on my own, I don't even need to see half of you guys. I don't even like you. If left to my own. But this is not us left to our own. Because God makes us people who long to want to be with each other. Because we have been baptized in the name of Jesus. Together. And we are his body together. That's the exact language we're about to use as we come to the table and eat his body and drink his blood. The worship team is just going to sing the song for us and gives you a chance to think about what kinds of things maybe God is preparing you for. Special things that are spiritual things, good things, joyous things, if you could just get honest maybe today. And admit that maybe you're more immature than you thought. You're not as committed. You're not as focused. You don't even care when there's division or problems. You're like, I don't even care. It's the worst place to be. And as you come this morning to say, Jesus, we were baptized in your name. That means you are Lord. And with other Christians around the world, that means we are committed to your ways. And you hate division. You hate division. Let's sing the song before we come to the table.
As we prepare now for communion and to come to the table, uh, maybe this is your first time here or if you've come before, we uh, just have a great team who just prepares this table and gets things ready. And we have some different instructions, some special instructions for you from how we've done this before. In a moment, we're going to invite you to come up in two lines and come uh, just a line where I am and where Pastor Dom is and to just come and uh, take the cup, the bread, and the juice, and to receive from us. And uh, we're going to do something a bit different maybe than you used to, is when you come up and you take the cup, you're going to hear us share a line. Just, just share something as you receive, which is, this is Jesus' body and blood broken for you. And then we're going to ask you to, to sit back down and just wait as we receive that, as we take that together. And uh, one, of the reason, one of the reasons why we're doing this and why this is so important is it's really teaching us and, and reminding us that when we come to the table, it's not just something that we just take for granted or that we just come and go and get on with our day. And it's not something that we can just take for ourselves. But the table is the place that Jesus has already prepared for us in advance. That he was the one preparing this for us and that he had each of us in mind as we come to the table. For you, as you're just reflecting this morning, we know that we each have things in our lives that keep us from coming to the table. Things in our lives that keep us from experiencing the fullness of what God has for us, from those gifts that he has waiting for us. Whether it's just shame or bitterness or anger or lust or frustration with a division in a relationship. Whatever those things are, I just want you to look, look right now at the table and just imagine that Jesus was here setting this table, that he was laying things out, and that not only did he, he was preparing that in advance for each of us, but that he, he had you in mind. 
and that he was preparing a place just for you. And that he says, come now. Because of what I've done, and because of the power of the cross, you can come now and surrender those things. Surrender those things that were causing division. To lay them down. And to just commit and recommit to following me. To embracing the fullness of what I have for you in your relationships, as you learn to love one another, to embrace the peace and the love that I have for you and the things that I'm calling you to. And so just again, in a moment, we're going to invite you to come up. Maybe you're here for the first time or you've been here for a few times and you're just not ready yet to come up. You're not ready. You're not sure yet what it means to follow Jesus. You're not ready to take that step. We just encourage you, just invite you to stay seated. Or maybe the next step for you is we have a great team in our prayer space who would just love to take the time to pray for you. If you can go there and just, and just invite them to pray. But if you're ready to come up, as you feel led, would you just think of the power of the cross and take the time as you commit and surrender those things to just ask Jesus to nourish you and to give you the kind of strength that only he can give to do those new things in you, to shape us in a different way by his power. So I'm going to invite Pastor Dom to come up now. And I'm just going to invite you to to pray just a simple prayer with me and then come as you feel it. The team will, will kind of direct us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you've prepared for us. Before we were even aware of our need for you, or this longing in our hearts for something more, that you were preparing this for us to shape us in new ways, to lay aside those things that keep us from one another and from loving you more. So we thank you. And God, as we come and to receive something we cannot receive from ourselves, God, would you do something new in us, shape us in new ways. And so would you lead us in our time now, we ask in your name. Amen. Come as you feel that.
can open up your little uh, elements there. You know, I don't know how it felt for you to have somebody give you communion elements, but it's very special for us as pastors to be able to look at you in the eyes and to remind you that what Jesus did was for you. No, Paul, in a minute I'm going to read to you what he tells the church in Corinth. And he says to them, I need to look you in the eyes because if you don't live up to what this means, it's going to be my responsibility to talk to you about it. It's part of being the pastoral person like Paul is. So I'm really proud of many of you who are growing and you're ready to take that step. Would you just commit to be with us in this series as we learn how Paul teaches the church in Corinth? If you looked in your Bible and you looked at the Greek word that Paul uses for communion, the word comes, we get the word Eucharist from it. Eucharisteo is the word. The Greek word means thanksgiving. It's meaningful that on this Thanksgiving, no matter what you're thankful for, this should be top on the list. That the body and blood of Jesus broken for you and for me. Paul, as he deals with division, conflict, pride, anger, sexual sins, all kinds of issues, says to the church in Corinth and to the church at the 180, on the night when Jesus our Lord was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's just take the bread now as we remember what Jesus has done for us. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes once again. Let us take wine together. You know, before I dismiss you, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think in your mind what it would be like to be in heaven. So everyone with eyes closed, if you're watching online, you might want to do this. For sure there's a lot of kids screaming and playing. I don't know what images come to mind. Maybe some feelings of peace and healing. Maybe you think of someone you love who's passed away and you can't wait to see them again you miss them. Whatever feeling comes to mind when you think of heaven. Let me just add one thing, that there will be a table of a banquet there. And at that banquet, Jesus promises us that he will take this meal with us again. So every time we take communion, we're really just preparing you for heaven. Because that will happen with Jesus. And we will see the scars and understand once and for all, that the world was made whole because of weakness, not because of the way of power. May we never forget that. 
And may we live out of that truth today as we leave here and as we commit to being united in our hearts and in our minds as people who belong to Jesus. Let's just stand as we pray. Father, as we go now, we, uh, we thank you again for sending Jesus our Lord. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to the will of the Father for us and for our salvation, you King. When we didn't want you, when we were fine with being divided, when we were fine with conflict, you came and made things right. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here with us, reminding us of the love of Jesus and the love of the Father. Teach us what it means to grow in maturity, to be ready to enjoy the gifts, the spiritual gifts you have for us as your people. As we go now and we celebrate maybe with Thanksgiving, with a meal, with some family, may we just pause to remember that we are thankful first for the cross and the resurrection. Would you go with us now and would you give us a chance to model what it means that we are those who were baptized into Christ's name and because of that, we will live differently. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we love you all. God bless everyone. If you can help us with our Fall Fun Fest, please let us know. And if you'd like to pray with somebody, we'd love to meet you in our prayer space or else have a great Thanksgiving. Remember your kids and uh, we love you. See you soon.